in? Let's jump in. Let's jump in. Uh, this month, it's relationship month. I can't shake it. I've been a youth pastor for too long. February is relationship month. And uh, we're doing so here in adult service too. And we're, we started a series last week called EXO, uh, Love, Relationships, and God. Uh, and it, it's deep and it's heavy. And last week we talked about something that I, I didn't expect to go to. Actually, I was talking with a few people. Last week, uh, God changed my sermon Sunday morning at 5 a.m., and uh, as a pastor, there's nothing more really, truly frustrating than that. Uh, and that sounds really bad, right? Like, we, we want to hear from God, but God changed it. But you spend all that time lurk, working up a sermon. You get it all looking nice on your iPad and got all the color coding done and doing all that stuff. And then God's like, no, actually, I want you to do this. And you're like, God. Uh, but he changed it. And it was really powerful, though. We talked about uh, the idea of true love, agape love, a love that's based not in emotion, but in devotion, Right? that you're committed, that you, that you choose to love and how God chose to love us and how when God created humanity, he didn't uh, create us as robots or uh, emotionless people who would just worship him and love him because they had to, but he gave us a choice so that we could choose to love him. And that is the foundation for this whole series is that uh, our love for God needs to be a chosen love that's solid. And we unpacked a scripture that said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I, and I used some blocks and I built a foundation for a pyramid. And we talked about how loving God with every fiber of our being and understanding how all of those areas are important sets the foundation for the rest of our relationships. Because if our foundation is weak or our foundation is broken or, or offset or cracked, uh, the, rest of our, the rest of our relationships are going to be a little bit off. And uh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not an engineering major. I've, I've never done much with engineering, but I do know that if you're trying to build a bridge from two different sides and you're like half a degree off, guess what happens when, you're, when you get to the middle? The, the bridge isn't perfect. The alignment matters. I, I know when you build things, you've got to have a solid foundation. Uh, I, I know that from Legos. That's how I know you need a solid foundation. All right? Because you want to build these tall towers, but if you don't have a solid foundation, the tower is going to fall over. Uh, Legos, by the way, are incredible. Uh, that's all. I just wanted to say Legos are incredible. So, uh, but today I want to move on. So we, we set our foundation last week, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the foundation for everything else we do. So if you don't hear anything else I say today, or you feel like nothing else applies, hear that. Our foundation must be our love for God. That has to be it. Everything else flows from that. Jesus taught specifically on that in a multiple different times, and we need to understand that, that if my relationship with God is not good, my relationship with my spouse will be rocky, my relationship with my kids, with my family, with my extended family, all that stuff, everything else will be uh, a little bit rocky and a little bit off. So we set that foundation first. But today I want to talk a little bit about love and marriage. Anybody else have the Frank Sinatra song get stuck in your head there just for a second? Last week I did the head bob and some of you looked at me weird, so I'll restrain from doing that this week. But love and marriage, love and marriage goes together like a horse and ca- Okay, sorry. You just start rabbit trailing and it just goes, all right? But today uh, I want to talk about love and marriage and, and kids and family because that's, that's the next level when we're looking at our, our pyramid of love, if you want to call it that, right? Our foundation is found in God. Our identity is found in God and we move up. And uh, our relationship with our family is of the utmost importance. And if we're married, our relationship with spouse is the next most important relationship we have. And we have to pour everything we can into that. And uh, it, it gets really complicated, right? You start having kids 
and then things get really complicated, and then your careers start taking off, and it gets even more complicated, and then life happens, and it gets even more complicated. And guess the one relationship that tends to go to the wayside during all of that? Your relationship with your spouse. It's incredible. The, the second most relationship in our life, the second most important relationship in our life, tends to be the one that's most easily forgotten. And you live with that person. It's crazy how it happens. Uh, so we have to set our foundation and go from there. But there's also this myth of a perfect marriage. How many of you guys have ever watched a romantic comedy movie or a romantic comedy TV show? Right? Everything works out daisies. Like the Hallmark movies always crack me up because the plot is about the same in every single Hallmark movie. Did you guys know that? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. One of them is a successful business person who goes back to their small town home and falls in love. Like it happens like every single time. Spoiler alert. Go on IMDb and start researching. You'll notice most of the Hallmark movies are that way. But most romantic comedies do what, right? Like life happens and things get crazy, but then they find their true love and they get married and things work out wonderfully. And everything's great. And everything's grand. And, and, you know, it just, it's so wonderful. And we see this myth of a perfect marriage. We see celebrities put on the cover of magazines and different things. And we know eventually most of those marriages end in, in divorce and it's terrible. But they have these picture-perfect weddings, and they have picture-perfect lifestyles, and they never go out looking weird, or they end up in the tabloids, right? Like if they are dressed weird or they're fighting or whatever. Uh, did you guys know, this is a little sidetrack, Daniel Radcliffe, the guy who played Harry Potter, one time he wore the same outfit when he went out every day for over a month, so the paparazzi couldn't get any new pictures of him, which is like troll level 1,000, and I love it. But anyway, so I mean, but they're under a microscope, right? Everything they do. Websites and newspapers will pay tons of money to get a candid picture of them looking crazy or fat or ugly or whatever it is. They'll do all of that. But it's still, for some reason, we just get slammed with these images of a perfect marriage. We see it in movies. We see it in TV shows. And I would say now that I think TV shows are getting a little bit more realistic slowly, right? That, that marriages aren't always just, you know, just gravy. Especially if you think back to those old classic family value shows, Right? Mom stayed at home. Dad went to work. Every time he came home, everything was perfect. The house was perfect. Everything was perfect. Everybody loved everybody. And at the end of the episode, no matter what happened, they all came home and it was great. That's a myth, right? Even then it was a myth, but that's what people wanted to see, right? Leave it to Beaver. Like all, all of that stuff. We also see themes like this. Do what feels good to you. Uh, live by your heart. Let your heart decide. Can I just sidetrack for just a second? Our hearts can be dumb. And our hearts often want what we can't have or shouldn't have. But that's why God gave us a mind to speak to our heart. Anyway, I could digress on that for a very, very long time. All right, but if we're married, if we're together, if we have a family, everything should be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Man, what a bunch of lies. (laughs) Because the reality is, marriage is a perfect example of how Christ loves the church. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But that means it's ugly. That means it's full of struggle. That means bad things happen to good people. That means we're going to make mistakes. That means some nights you're going to fight. That means some days you might fight. That means every once in a while you'll say things you really don't mean, or maybe you secretly do, and you'll hurt your spouse. Even the first marriage we see in Genesis was not a walk in the park. It was not a perfect marriage. And we get to see it in Genesis uh, because it's just a fascinating story. So God uh, breathes into dirt and creates Adam, right? That's the creation story. That's how humanity came to be, which is just crazy. Adam actually means dirt. 
All right, so he took dirt and breathed into it and it became a person, which is just blows my mind every time. Uh, but then, then he was around and that was the relationship there. There was God with Adam, but Adam was lonely. So God took Adam and actually gave him a job first to try to give him meaning. I, I found this really interesting. They gave him a job first to help him find meaning, to, to find a partner. And he, he named all of the animals, which uh, at the EXO conference, they talked about that a little bit, just how many animals are there. Adam named all of them and not a suitable partner was found. So God put Adam to sleep, took a rib, and created Eve. And we have this first marriage, and things were great for a while, and then this, this snake shows up, right? The famous snake with the apple, the whole bit. And this is, where, this is where I think it's kind of fascinating, because God catches them, right? That's the whole story, right? They, they eat from the tree they're not supposed to. God catches them, and he confronts them about it. Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding your, your, your shame? Why are you hiding your, your nakedness? Why are, you, why are you doing all that stuff? And what does Adam do right away? Passes the buck. It's her fault. Is that a perfect husband? I don't think so. It's her fault. And then Eve's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not my fault. It's the snake's fault, <laughs> right? Like, it, it's just fascinating to look back. This is the first marriage. And uh, we don't know how long they lived before this happened. I'm guessing it was quite a while. So things were great. And then there was an opportunity for sin, and sin entered the world. And it's just this fascinating story of passing the buck. And this first uh, marriage it, it ended up ending with sin entering the world. And they went from there, the perfect garden, the perfect place, literally walking with God to being kicked out of the garden and being told you're going to toil, you're going to suffer, you're going to have pain when you, when you have kids, you're going to do all of this stuff. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa, God, what just happened? What about this perfect marriage? But today I say all that to let you know that from the beginning of marriage, it, It's not a guarantee of a walk in a park. In fact, it's a promise of not that. So what do we do with that? What do we do with an unperfect marriage? What do we do uh, when things get hard? Well, uh, you guys ever heard of the the, the play How to Succeed at Business Without Really Trying? Okay, maybe you haven't, but I just love that title, right? How to Succeed at Business Without Really Trying. So today I want to spend just a few minutes, I want to talk to you about this. How to Succeed at Marriage by Really Trying. Because marriage is effort. Marriage takes strength and courage and boldness and selflessness and a whole bunch of different things that we're going to unpack here in a moment. And if you're not married, uh, today there are some things that I think you can apply to your life too. This can apply to other relationships, but it definitely applies to marriages. So how do we succeed at marriage by really trying? Well, the first thing is this, is understanding that we live in a society that's a microwave society, that's a right now society. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like if you want really good food, you put it in the oven. And if you want really fast food, you throw it in the microwave. Uh, And we can debate over whether pizza rolls should go in the oven versus the microwave all day. Uh, I tend to fall in the microwave camp and my my wife says the oven. But uh, okay, I'm wrong. All right, guys. So sorry. So sorry. So we live in this instant gratification society, right? So evidently I fall into that. I'm the only one in the room that likes them out of the microwave. The only thing I will say about that is that when you eat one of those out of the microwave, it's like a nuclear explosion goes off in your mouth when you bite into one of them. You're like, oh, it's pretty cool. And you bite into it and your mouth explodes in flame. Anyway, man, you guys got me all sorts of off track today. So in this microwave society, we also live in a me first society, So not only do we want things quickly, but it needs to make me feel good. And if it doesn't, it's not good for me. 
But how many of us know that's not actually true? Working out does not feel good in the moment. Now, the after we could talk about because you release uh, hormones and things in your, in, your, uh, in your brain that helps you feel good afterwards. But that initial thing, you're like, this hurts. I don't want to do it anymore. So in this society, how do we do this? Marriage actually should stand out in this society because it's about the long run. It's not about the short term. And it's, uh, it's not easy. It's hard. And uh, it's about putting the other person first. So it's counter culture, right? Our culture says, quick, now me. And marriage says, whoa, slow down. It's about you, not me. And we see this in scripture and Paul talks about it. So I want to read a few passages and we're going to unpack them. And the first thing is this. How do we succeed at marriage by really trying? We serve our spouse. We serve our spouse. How do we succeed at other relationships? We serve that. We serve that. And Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 5. And this is one of the more like famous marriage scriptures. And I'm just going to read it to you. And then we'll unpack it. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband or submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her, or present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Did you hear that, guys? I've got a little bit more to read, but I mean, like, this is powerful imagery, right? We'll unpack it, but I just want you to catch the imagery that Paul's using when he writes about this. Uh, After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And then Paul goes on to cite Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's a lot in here. We could, I I could just preach off of that probably for three weeks because there's layers and layers and layers to that. But there's a theme that I see in there, and that to me is the theme of servanthood for both spouses, that we are called to serve each other, uh, It's fascinating to me that we go into marriage thinking I'm going to feel this and I'm going to get this out of it and I'm going to do all of this stuff. But you know where we find our greatest value and greatest meaning is when we serve our spouse. What does servanthood mean? I don't mean that it needs to be the the standard definition, right? Like stay-at-home mom, cooks dinner every night, everything's perfect, wears a dress, vacuums. Like you guys ever look at old ads, by the way? The wives who were at home we're wearing dresses and vacuuming and smiling, right? Like, and if you have kids, you know, none of those things happen like that, right? <laughs> you're grumbling and yelling and you're still in your pajamas and it's okay, Amen. <laughs> right? <laughs> or now my kids are old enough. I'm like, hey, you go vacuum <laughs> and we try to do it that way. But we get those pictures, but, the, but what is servanthood? Servanthood means I'm gonna put your needs above my needs. I want to help you succeed first. And you know what's fascinating? If I have that attitude and and Jody, my wife, has that attitude, guess what we do? We work together. 
And we meet each other's needs, and we help each other succeed, and we understand what it means to truly love. It's really fascinating how it works because it doesn't make sense, right? It's the whole, uh, it's the whole like, I need to become less, he needs to become more thing, like, right? Like, how does that work? I don't get it, but I do know that when we serve and we put other people's needs above our own, specifically our spouses, and the other spouse does the same, all of a sudden we come together and it's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful picture of the church and Jesus' relationship with the church. And to me, it's just fascinating. And uh, Jesus sets the best example of servanthood for us. And I know that's like the churchiest answer, right? Like Jesus is the best example of almost everything. Uh, but really, there's a moment in Scripture, and uh, I want you to, to understand the significance of this event. Uh, there's a moment in Scripture in John chapter 13 where the disciples are sitting down at, at a meal, and Jesus gets up, and he takes a basin of water, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. You guys ever heard that story before? I want you to understand some of the cultural significance of that before, before we tie this into marriage. But washing the feet seems kind of strange to us in this moment because we just take a shower or bath and we're good. Uh, we also don't wear sandals and walk everywhere, right? In Jesus' time, walking was the primary mode of transportation, and they would walk, and they wore, like, open-toe sandals. So one of the things that culturally you would do is when somebody came into your home, you would have your lowliest servant, right? Catch this, right? Your lowliest servant, the lowest on the totem pole, your brand-new servant, and they would go around, and they would wash people's feet, your guests' feet, Uh and I, I just, I don't want to gross you out, but I want to paint the picture. Like, they're walking on dusty roads. They're walking where the animals walked. I, I'll let you fill in the blanks from there, right? Okay. They're walking and it was gross. So washing somebody's feet was actually a very disgusting act. It's not like if we wash feet and sometimes, and maybe we'll do a foot washing ceremony sometime. I don't know. But like, it's different now. Now it's just like, oh man, your feet smell. Back then it was like, your feet smell like something that's not you. <laughs> Right? Like you stepped in something because you did. Uh, and you'd have to wash their feet. So Jesus and his d- disciples are in this home, and nobody offered to wash their feet. So what does Jesus do? He gets down on his hands and knees, and he washes his disciples' feet. And the Lord of the universe, right? King of kings, Lord of lords, is washing dirt and poop and grime off of his disciples' feet. You guys let that sink in for just a second, what that means? Scripture actually says it this way in John chapter 13. uh, uh, Jesus washes their feet and he says this. When he had uh, finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on because he took off his outer garment to wash their feet with, which is another level, right? Because he was wearing that, just by the way. All right. And he returned to his place and he asks them, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you get it? Do you get what I just did? I didn't just wash your feet. And he follows it up with this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now this morning, I'm going to contend to you that it's not limited to the physical act of washing each other's feet, but it's an attitude of servanthood. It's an attitude of, I'm going to put your needs and I'm going to serve you first. And that applies perfectly with marriage. Because when you're married with somebody, you get to see all the highest of highs and everything you ever hoped for. 
honeymoon and all, like the whole bit, everything you ever hoped for. Maybe it wasn't picture perfect. Maybe it started off rocky, but you get to see people at their high. But you know what that also means? You get to see them at the lowest of lows. And there is some powerful moments in there for us to serve. Because there are going to be times when your spouse is just devastated and in order to serve them, you have to help shoulder some of the burden to be there. And that's the best way you can serve. It's easy to serve when things are going great, isn't it? It's easy to serve when like, oh, you just got a promotion. Yes, you know, like let's budget, let's do all that stuff. Uh, But it's a lot harder to serve when, when your spouse comes home and says, I got laid off. That's a reality though, right? Marriage is hard work. But Jesus served and set that example, and we should serve. We need to serve each other. Uh, Tim, Timothy Keller said this, the deep happiness that marriage can bring then lies on the far side of sacrificial service. The deep meaning lies in sacrificial service and the power of the Spirit. That is, you only discover your own happiness after each of you has put the happiness of your spouse ahead of your own in a sustained way in response to what Jesus has done for you. It is the joy that comes from giving joy, from loving another person in a costly way. There are layers to that statement. That's not even scripture, but there are layers in that statement that we can unpack. But if you boil it all, it all down, says this is that true joy, true love, and true meaning is found when we serve our spouse, not the other way around. So we have to be willing to serve our spouse. And the next thing I think we see in scripture as I crushed my communion cup uh, is this, is that we, we also need to be able to communicate with our spouse. Uh, communication and finances are two of the reasons people end up coming to talk to pastors at churches. A lack of those things. Right? Communication is so important. If you're not communicating with each other, how will I know how to serve you best? If I don't explain my needs to Jody, how in the world can I expect her to serve me? If Jody doesn't explain what she needs from me, how can I serve her? Now, there is a part of that of, of personal responsibility, right? I should seek out ways to serve my spouse. I should be looking for those things. Like when you date, right? What do you do? You're, you're looking for any in, right? What do they love? What do they really like? What don't they like? What, you know, you're trying to find anything you can. You're, you're, you're a, a student of your, of your now spouse, right? When you were dating. You're learning everything about them. What they like, don't like, what, what, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, and sometimes you find out things late. Last week, I, I mentioned, I, I just found out my wife doesn't like cribbage. It's a game we play. And we played it on our cruise, and I just found out we've been married almost 14 years. Did not know that. Uh, but I guess I never asked, so that's on me. <laughs> all right, but if you're not communicating, how will you know those things? How will you know if you've done something to upset your spouse if you're not communicating? Now there's nonverbal communication, right? We all know when somebody's not happy. But some of us are better than others at hiding it. And sometimes we choose to bury things deep inside. But how will we know? You have to communicate. And listen, communication will often lead to conflict. When you start explaining that you're, you're not happy or something's off or, or something like that, guess what the first response somebody has is? Defensive. That was me. I, I didn't do that. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. But that's why I said communication and not talking to each other. Right? Because you can talk. But if you're really communicating, the other person's also listening. That's a really, really big difference. Conflict is not pleasant, but it, if you have good communication... 
Conflict can actually help you grow closer together because then you're clearly explaining your needs and your desires and your wants. Uh, For some of us, generally guys, we have to be willing to actually open up and talk because generically, guys, we like to just like cave it all in. And we just kind of go like, Face. Uh, I, I have a great book. I, if you've never read it before, it's called Women are, or, uh, Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. Anybody ever heard of that book before? I've given it to a few of my now graduated students before uh, when they were seriously dating somebody so they could, it was kind of like a premarital type book. And the premise of the book is this, is men are like waffles because we tend to compartmentalize our life as boxes, Right? And this isn't a perfect analogy. There is no perfect analogy, right? But we, we compartmentalize and work is here, home is here, this is there. And then when there's a TV on, which is a box, uh, guess what we are just like drawn into? Like it, try talking to me while there's a sporting event on or if I'm watching a superhero movie and it's just, it's not gonna happen, right? And the premise of the book is also that women are like spaghetti, generically, right? No perfect analogies. Uh, and uh, another word for it is rabbit trailing. Uh, and you start talking about one thing and then somehow you're clear over here, and you don't know how. And spaghetti, a pile of spaghetti, right? Interweaves, and it's just kind of a big, uh, like, interweaving thing, right? And some of you are laughing, right? You're thinking about conversations you've had. Uh, actually, uh, Jody and I read that a long time ago together, and there are still times uh, where we say, are you spaghettiing right now? Uh, because she'll, like, we'll be talking, and then it'll be silent for just a moment, and then she'll say something, and I'm like, where did that come from? We were just talking about youth group and now you're talking about Carson's birthday and I don't understand. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I, I know I, I'm spaghettiing, right? You can ask Jody, I'm not making this up, but like it, it's verbiage we now use because it explains how even though maybe we weren't talking through it and ending up in a different conversation, her mind was somewhere else because it had just like, well, that meant this and this means that and that, you know, like guys, we, we can do that too. So this is not perfect. It's not just guys, just girls, but uh, without communication, Right? This is what I'm talking about. Without communication and true communication, guys, we have a tendency to live in our box and not come out of it. We need to be willing to open up. And then uh, for, if we're willing to open up, then we also have to clearly say what we mean. That's for everybody. That's all of us. That's men and women. That's, it doesn't matter. Like, we have to actually clearly say what we mean because a lot of times, you know, we beat around the bush. We hope that the other person will get it. You ever done that one before? Where you say things and you're like, yeah, they'll definitely get to where I want them to go. And then they don't. And you're like, ah. And you never actually say what you mean. You have to be willing to communicate and clearly say what you mean. And we need to choose love every single day. So serve, communicate, and choose love. Because in those times, when you're upset at your spouse, you're not going to feel love for them, right? When you're fighting about something, you don't generally feel love. It's not like that feeling that you had at your wedding and everything was awesome and all that stuff. You're angry. I feel angry, but I choose love. Do you guys understand the difference there? Love is an emotion, but it can also be a choice. And I want you to choose true love, that agape love. It's so much more than just the feeling because every single day we have an opportunity to choose to love our spouse. Uh, We need to choose to see positives in our spouse. You know how easy it is to nitpick somebody that you've lived with for so long? Right? So if you ever watch like the Love and Marriage Game Show, like all those things, they always talk about what habit annoys you the most, you know? Because everybody's got one. 
But instead of highlighting those things, what would happen if every day we chose to compliment our spouse on something they do great? What if you chose every day to just say, I love you? Unexpectedly, not because you got something, not because you received something, but you chose to say those words. What if in all of our relationships, we chose to build people up instead of tearing them down? And particularly in a marriage. When we choose to see the positives and glorify those, we're a living example of God's grace. We're not perfect. But when you choose to see the the good in your spouse and you choose to highlight those things, you're saying, I know you're flawed, but here's why I love you still. And it's powerful. And don't stop and don't give up. Marriage is hard work and it's a marathon. And I think we fall in the trap because we're in that microwave society, right? Like we want it fixed now. We fall in this trap of saying it it needs to be fixed tomorrow or or it's never going to be fixed. Well, hey guys, a year's 365 days, right? And if you've been struggling with something for multiple years, you're talking thousands of days and you expect it to be fixed in one day? I don't think so. We have to be willing to put in the hard work over time to make a marriage succeed. And just a quick note on, on when you're trying to show your kids love, right? Because that's part of our foundation, right? Love, love your spouse, love your kids, love your family. How do we do that? What's the best way we can do that? By loving and serving our spouse. By loving and respecting our parents. Kids learn best by example and by doing and, and making them a part of decisions you make. Often I'll take my kids uh, when I'm going to get flowers or candy or something for Jody, I'll take them with me and say, hey, let's go buy mom something special today. And my hope and my faith is that they're learning how to do that for their spouse someday. Oh, man, that makes me want to cry. Okay, so get over that one for a second because my, my eight-year-old's almost nine going on 15. So uh, it's closer than I think. But kids learn best by observing. And when they see us living sacrificially and servant and living in servanthood, they'll do the same. They'll treat others with respect. They'll treat them with love. And I'll leave you with this thought. You can wear yourself out with your career, with your kids, or anything else, but if the Lord isn't the center of everything you do, it will all be for nothing. So that just brings it all back to our foundation, right? So serve, communicate, love, choose love, find opportunities to administer grace, and you will infinitely increase your chances for a successful marriage. Infinitely. If you live every day and you just wake up and your first thought is, how can I serve my spouse? You'll grow every day. You'll grow closer together. I can promise you that. I won't promise you it'll be easy because there are certainly days that you're going to say, I don't want to serve you. I don't like you right now. But you can get up and choose that and you can communicate. So uh, I want to leave you with a challenge. And I I won't make you stand uh, tonight, today, not tonight. Uh, But I want to leave you with a challenge. Whether you're married or not, I think think this challenge can be for us. Let's look for opportunities this week to outserve one another. If you're married, look for opportunities to outserve your spouse. Make it a competition. Uh, Jody and I, uh, we're competitive people. We love playing games. Uh, and there can only ever be one winner, <laughs> and it should be me. But anyway, 
Look for opportunities to outserve your spouse. It reminds me of the Survivor uh, thing, right? Like Outwit, Outlast, Outplay. You guys remember Survivor? It's still on TV, by the way. Can you believe that? Like 58 million seasons in. But this week, what if we tried to outserve, outgrace, and outcommunicate with our spouse? What if in all of your relationships, the ones you value most with your family, with your kids, what if you tried to outserve, outgrace, and outcommunicate with your spouse or your kids or family or, or coworkers this week? Do you think your life would be a little bit different by the end of this week if you tried to do those things? I promise you, you start trying to outserve people, you're going to find some deeper meaning you never knew was there. And that is the best way we can show uh, Christ's love for us. So let's, let's do this. Close our eyes. We're going to close. I, I just want to pray for you. I want to challenge you and give you uh, uh, just a positive send-off today because today's message is, is about living Christ's love. We celebrated Christ's death, but now we can choose to live Christ's love every day. So in all your relationships, if you're married, think of your spouse first. But in all of our relationships, our family, our kids, our coworkers, how can we show, people's Christ, show people Christ's love? By serving, by giving grace, by communicating. And that puts us foundationally where we should be because we're loving God and then we're loving others. And of that others, your spouse and family are the most important. So God, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to show your love through serving to show your love through giving